Welcome to The Stories That Make Us, a podcast about the fiction that has moulded, shaped and inspired us. I'm Abby Ruggles and this is my co-host Rory Doherty. Hello! Each episode we chat to a different creative and explore which narratives have impacted them the most. This week our guest is Ollie Smith who is a video games journalist and critic. He is the editor of New Game Plus where he also co-hosts The Lag Podcast. Hey Ollie, it's lovely to have you here. Thank you, it's nice to be here. I'll tell you what Abby, I'm, I'm in a bit of a funk. I've learned some information today, some pop culture information that I'm still processing. Go on. I feel like you're going to have to share it with us now. I've, I wasn't going to leave. I wasn't going <laughs> to leave. leave I'm moving on with the podcast. Um, <laughs> Come back next week. <laughs> this is, this is thankfully, everyone here is a, a, a Brit. So they're going to, this isn't, I won't have to explain this to many people. But some of our listeners aren't. So a Tracy Beaker is coming back. Oh at, my God. Okay. As, <laughs> as a mum. Yeah. And I found out this information in a video that also let loose another chaotic piece of information, which is her arch rival, Justine Littlewood, is also coming back. Uh, have you seen the trailer? Yeah. Yeah, I have now. <laughs> um, I thought it was a joke that somebody had like... <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a comic relief sketch. It looks like it was yeah. just like, yeah, why not? I'm sure that a whole generation of queer people will tune in to watch cbbc this weekend <laughs> don't doubt it for a second were you a tracy beaker fan ollie uh i i what, used to watch it yes feel like you could do and should like this is just to general people feel like one should do queer readings of every cbbc show i feel like you could get you could do a lot of good i feel like you had a lot of stuff to work with um, I feel like there was quite a lot of sexual tension in that, that trailer. That yes. Released, but... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the way Justine was like, none of it was true or whatever it oh, was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we got history. Like, they're smoking. Oh, it's great. Anyway. <laughs> that's, anyway. That's to, hell, to, hell with my, to hell with my three pieces of media. Let's, Let's just, just talk, talk about, about Tracy Beaker. Yeah. I, had a... I mean, I could do a whole podcast about Jacqueline Wilson books. <laughs> um, so, Ollie, how did you get started in video games journalism oh gosh it'll be my fi- my five-year anniversary this year actually Congratulations. Wow. started gonna... straight after graduating from university so mm. i was like straight into the freelance life which was quite fun i read a yeah. blog like for many years before that um which, which i started during uni ollie did you know that uh, that mean this is your wood anniversary my my what your wood anniversary is your five years is it? Yeah, I didn't it's know a that. name. It's a name so terrible that you're much better calling it just your five year anniversary. <laughs> I'll I'll bear that in mind for when I inevitably talk about it later this year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I got started writing for a couple of sites um, way back in 2016. Hmm. Uh, mostly, a lot of them writing for free. Some were paid. Some were for free. Uh, and then I sort of went into it full time around, I went to another, a few other places during that time as well. I was, I was like in retail and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, worked for a radio station for a, a brief while. Uh, and then I sort of went full time freelance around four, three or four years ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the rest, as they say, is history. Oh. It is. Um, so you have your own site, New Game Plus. When did that get set up? So that was like... The the name it's called New Game Plus, yeah, and it was sort of like uh, officially became that about uh, almost a year ago now. Hmm. Um, but it it already existed as like my blog um, under okay. another name um, for like five years or so. Uh, but then sort of like I sort of got like a little budget together of like uh, mm-hmm. to be able to pay freelancers um, for different pieces. Hmm. So uh, the blog used to be called Ollie writes, but then when I, when I figured like once I sort of brought on other writers, it shouldn't really be called Ollie writes anymore. Hmm. And it was also sort of like a blog that was sort of like focused on all sorts, not just video games, but also like film and music as well. Hmm. So I kind of wanted to refocus that and rebrand it under a new name. So it just sort of became new game plus and, uh, the di- it went in a completely new direction. Uh, mm-hmm. Brought on Alex Dewin as deputy editor, who was in a previous episode of this yes, podcast. Yes, the lovely so, Alex. Wonderful. So that, that was that was very nice. Alex has been doing an amazing job. I don't know how she does it because she's still at uni as well, and <laughs> oh, yeah. about the stuff yeah. she's doing just blows my mind. She she's like five years younger than me, so I'm constantly like trying to remember what it was like at that age to be like yeah. <laughs> so busy and 
and full of full of hopes I, and dreams. This is a this is a podcast tidbit. I'm not sure what the age difference is between Abby and me, and I <laughs> I, 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 I genu- It's been said, but I've never equated it with like my age. Um, because I think I think we sort of have varying energies as co-hosts, as who's older and who's younger. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that me and Ollie are very close in age, like literally days apart. Oh wow! Well, then, yeah, there you we go. Were, yeah, we could have been in the same hospital. <laughs> oh, that's. Yeah. I mean, I don't think so because we were born that's on different <laughs> sides of the country. But you never know. Well, you I was terribly terrible hospital, the world's biggest one. <laughs> I was actually born in Shropshire, so it might be closer than oh, okay. That's, you'd expect. Uh, it occurred to then. me today that if you gave me a map of England, and this isn't out of any sort of like political move, I have no clue where anywhere in England is. <laughs> Honestly, I've just draw a big circle down there. That's London. And then maybe New- <laughs> Newcastle's near the border. And then there's just the whole middle section, uh, which I'm just so confused about. To uh, be fair, you- I don't think I could point to where Edinburgh is on a map. So. Yeah. You need in... to start playing GeoGuessr more. Like that's how I learned. That's how GeoGuessr I learned. Like is... all the different places in the world. GeoGuessr is the worthy successor to um, Zoom quizzes. Just get on there. <laughs> I guess we were in St Peter's Basilica in the Vatican because of my Catholicism. <laughs> they were like, "It's a church." Rory will know this, and I was like, "I'm pretty sure that's St Peter's Basilica," and it was. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so how old are you, Ollie? Uh, not Ollie. Sorry, Rory. <laughs> I am uh, 23. Oh, okay. So there's like a three-year difference. Well, I'm out to be Wait, sorry, again. hang on, hang on, hang on. There's a three-year difference between us. Are you? Yeah, I'm twenty. I'm twenty-six. I thought. Oh, I thought you just turned twenty-five. No, I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm a terrible. I wish you a happy uh, birthday and everything. Um, this is great. I'm to be twenty-three again. Hey, tell oh. me, tell me about it. Uh, so Ollie, what yes. piece would you like to talk about first? Ah, yes. Uh, so I, yeah, you asked me to pick three pieces mm-hmm. um, to talk about. So I figured we'd just, I figured we'd just go in like the order I've got them here. Yeah. So uh, let's talk Perfect. about Dawn of the Dead. Let's. let's talk about Dawn of the Dead. Where to begin, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like I to mean, start off with a synopsis just in case someone hasn't so, seen it? Dawn of the Dead. We're talking about the original here, by the way, because there is hmm. a remake which uh, some people enjoy. I'm not too fond of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was released in 1978, directed by George A. Romero, who did like a lot of horror films especially back then it's sort of like a it's a like one of the early like pioneers of the the zombie horror genre mm-hmm. probably my favorite out of the three that he did in the 20th century mm-hmm. um because he did he obviously did uh he did night of the living dead which was sort of like the first ever like zombie film in the context of like what you think zombies mm-hmm. are and then he did dawn and then he did day of the dead about a decade after that but for some reason, like, Dawn of the Dead has always just been one of those films that sort of stuck with me over the many years since I first saw it. In terms of story, it concerns, um, sort of set up like a, you know, like a like you would imagine a typical zombie story to begin with, mm-hmm. you know. It's like society has started crumbling, uh, people are trying to hold on to their lives, like whatever's left of society, but, you know, the overwhelming, like, uh, hordes of zombies are just sort of tearing everything apart i think for, in particular this one is just it's very uh memorable about the terms of like special effects that they did for the time uh yeah. so they had um uh, they like night of the living dead was definitely at the time as well it was definitely stood out as quite one of the most like goriest horror films of uh, the 60s basically because mm-hmm. you know it's it, you know it's a it's a film about zombies ripping people apart so like <laughs> how could you not like interpret it that way but especially with dawn of the dead i think uh, they wanted to sort of up the ante of that so they brought in um this guy um called tom savini who's like a special effects mm-hmm. and makeup artist and he does extremely like really good practical effects um like especially like in you if you watch this film you will see like people's like like, like, I hope no one's listening and eating their dinner right now because, like, <laughs> people, like, people will get like ripped apart and like their stomach and like get yeah. pulled out and stuff. And you've got all this like awesome like makeup on the zombies that they like looks incredible for the time. Uh, and they're just seeing like all these different things and like there's so many like awesome special effects in it. Like there's a there's a one of my favorite ever. I guess one of my favorite ever zombie kills in cinema is um this there's this one scene in the film when the sort of the survivors uh the, like this group of characters that the film follows uh like fueling up the helicopter and they've like uh they've stopped to get some fuel and um 
one of the characters is sort of like just got their hand on the pump and then they're sort of looking over and suddenly they see a zombie coming towards them but they don't they're obviously got they're obviously busy fueling up the heli so they can't really do anything about it zombie helicopter rotor blade still whirring zombie stands up on a bunch of crates suddenly you see the top of the zombie's head just go yeah straight <laughs> off you just see the very top of the head go off and the like and it just collapses and I thought that was like amazing, like at the time. Even as an adult, it's amazing just how they did it. It was just so like it just looked so real the way they mm-hmm. did that. Even though it's obviously like nineteen, like an old, a film. There are like sort of flaws when you pick it apart, but especially when you read the backstory behind that scene, because they actually had the actor like put on like a prosthetic head. There was like oh, really? a couple of. It was like a couple of inches higher than like their actual head. So yeah. they actually stood like in the way of the rotor blades on the helicopter and like had the rotor blades like chop off that part of the prosthetic. Oh my god. And I'm just <laughs> thinking like that's like so dangerous, but yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Just thinking about filming that is terrifying. Yeah. There's no way I would ever oh, it's the 70s. You could just do like horrendous <laughs> shit and it was fine. You know, you could just like. It was before they did the Twilight Zone movie, so I guess those Oofed. regulations weren't Oofed. weren't uh, weren't uh, on set. Yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting one, I think, Dawn of the Dead, because it is. I mean, I mean, it, there was, especially before Night of the Living Dead, but really not even until he followed it up. Like zombies weren't weren't really a thing as we now know them. I mean, it's a sort of. Ironically, zombies have had this weird half-life of a uh, sort of run in the movies where they kind of, they're in these really popular movies and then they kind of just like fade a bit and then they come back and then they fade a bit. And then, you know, I guess with Dawn of the remake of Dawn of the Dead, they came back to life. But really, it's all down to George Romero for what we know and for what inspired the next generation of people um, to go on. And it's almost like the the it's almost fitting that the most influential zombie film since Night of the Living Dead is his follow up to it because no one really had nailed how to sort of explore the world in a way where it's like okay how would you live in a zombie apocalypse like you there is a lot of levity and there is a lot of freedom where you can run around and and zombies aren't scary on their own when you can sort of pick them off and sort of you know throw pies in their face and stuff like that um (laughs) but um uh it's when they are like a mass this huge sort of like swarm of them that become terrifying absolutely yeah yeah. and i think with uh with like horror films in general as well like I i think generally i think that like horror films are the most political uh genre of films mm. you could ever get i guess and there's you know if you watch dawn of the dead as an adult especially you see there's like there's like george doesn't shy away from any social commentary in this film he's like he's on the ball with like a lot of this these sort of like comments on consumerism and yeah. um you know all the different like uh especially towards the end with like uh sort of like equating the groups of survivors, like the the greed of them wanting to hold on to the mall at the end as it gets mm. um, sieged by that gr- gang of bikers, it's sort of like it's like a, you know it's a tale of greed really, and it's a tale yeah. of survival uh, and how like those two can sort of like intermingle. I think there's something really really clever about just we're in a mall and we have these sort of shambling lifeless corpses just roaming around it and it's like yes this was what this is how he saw consumerism this is how he saw regular malls with people going around them without any sort of personality or charisma to them yeah exactly and it's like i like i didn't learn this until like like about a year or two ago but um shopping malls actually aren't that old most of them came about in sort of like the 60s 70s Mm -hmm. um so it's sort of like i guess dawn of the dead is sort of like a response to how like the big boom in the economy and the big boom in consumerism sort of happened around the time of the advent of these uh big indoor centers so when did you first watch dawn of the dead ollie i was think i was very young (laughs) i was really (laughs) i was very i was too young to watch it probably (laughs) because I think it might have been my dad might have shown me something when I was like 10 years old. What is it with people's dads showing them horror (laughs) movies like way too early? (laughs) I mean, I grew up on like, I grew up on that. I grew up on the... Uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Jesus Christ, and, that's um, like the most horrible movie. It was, it was The Thing. I think the three film, the three horror films that are most vivid from my childhood are The Thing, Dawn of the Dead, and Alien. So it's like Jeez. all yeah. shown to me by my dad. So. See, if I was, I mean, I love all, I love all those movies to different different degrees. But if someone showed me something like 
alien as a kid i think i'd be bored you know what i mean it's a very like <laughs> i saw it in this yeah. i saw it recently in the cinema like last october and it's like one of the most strikingly beautiful films i've seen and just the the craft and the atmosphere it's it's so just like quietly unsettling and i'm like whoa this is a really effective like like ideas driven horror of like what would you what would it be like to live in this entirely isolating situation and just being hunted down? And it's a really... But if someone showed me that as a kid, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I, I get... I didn't watch any horror movies as a kid. It's like the one genre that no one introduced me to. Like, my parents aren't big film people. And, like, my, the only sort of inf information I knew about horror was that my mom saw the thing on, like, a work night out in the 80s and was, like, scared shitless. And I was like, oh, this is, and then I saw it. And I was like, mom, this is the most fun movie ever. This is like, like a fucking laugh riot. <laughs> and um, she was like, no, it's terrifying. But um, like, and to the point where her limit of gore is like Stranger Things, you know what I mean? Which is very just sort of like yeah. PG-13. But it's like when the, when the monster's being formed out of teeth and flesh and all that stuff, she's cowling behind her arms. And I'm like, hi, yes yes um, my mom watched the first uh, season of stranger things and that she was like it's too scary for me I can't watch <laughs> it's yeah it's just on my mom's level uh so we can't watch anything more scary uh, which is a shame are you a horror fan in general ollie oh absolutely yeah, yeah. it's probably my favorite genre of, of yeah. all i'll watch any horror film <laughs> just like all games which is a shame or, or because anything. which is a shame because some horror films are horrendous uh, and I, well, I mean, just, that's the same for any genre, really. Like, it's the same I mean, for like, any genre, but it's a different type. It's interesting because, like, a terrible comedy is like miserable, and you could not pay me to watch a terrible comedy. But there's a line <laughs> with horror where it's like the worse it gets, suddenly the more engaging it gets. And there's idea of oh, like, yeah. like, like there's so within any subgenre, you've got like a spectrum where if it's in the middle of the road and boring, it that's the worst it can be. The worse it gets, the more campy and the more enjoyable it gets. And I think horror, I like my horror is really scary or really funny. And yeah, they can be in on the joke as well, because my God, the 80s were like the most campiest time for horror. <laughs> but um, like, I love a good trash horror movie, a good slasher or anything like that. Well, I mean, to tie it back into Dawn of the Dead, like mm. that film has had a lot of comedy moments. Like it does. you mentioned the pies, the pies in the face and everything. Yeah. And then it's crazy. It's just I was like, watching and, like, it like, so what? <laughs> and then there's like just like other like that scene in particular like with all the bikers and stuff like that's definitely a lot of that is played for comedy but then mm -hmm. like even before like earlier in the film there's like so many moments that just like make me laugh so much like the um there's the zombie that like grabs the rifle off the, off one of the characters and he's just sort of like walking around with this rifle in its hand for the whole film and you see it sort of like pop up every now and then at different points of the film you're just like how is that like it's been months how, why does that zombie still so fascinated in that in that <laughs> rifle i have to say ollie and this is controversial of the original trilogy i would put dawn of the dead maybe as my as my third favorite oh. um, i really like uh for different reasons i think it's great fun uh but i think he sort of nailed it perfectly with day of the dead i think that was like yes the zombies are really scary but really what's what's driving the movie forward is an interpersonal tension between the and it's the most, like, uh, Joe Pilato in that movie is the scientist who says the line, I'm running this uh, <laughs> monkey farm now, Frankenstein, and I want to know what the fuck you're doing with my time. And there's no way you can deliver that line uh, genuinely. So he just seems to just go loud and just screaming it. Um, he's, yeah, he's great at the end of that film as well. Oh, he's his like, death Joke is, on them! His, his, <laughs> his death is the best zombie death I've ever seen ever, where, where they just, oh. perfect any shot where you can tell that someone's got fake legs and they're sitting in a hole. You know what I mean? Like those type of deaths yeah. where it's like ripping up his stomach <laughs> and it's just all these zombies and they're all trying to outact each other. Um, but um, I loved uh, Night of the Living Dead for just how stripped back it is and how hammy and sort of like like a bygone era it, from a bygone era it looks. And I want to see it done as like a play because you, like, you know, you're all just in one location and I think that you could really elevate a lot of the tension with that almost by just not showing these sort of like shambling corpses walking around. Um, Can I just please? say, Judith O'Dea in that film, she deserves way more credit for her performance than people give her. Oh yeah. She's, mm. I think people just don't, because she doesn't really do a lot for the whole film. So I feel like people don't really uh, sort of grasp onto that. But I think the way that she sort of portrays this uh, sort of 
this sort of shell shock um mm. catatonic state for like yeah. the first like two thirds of the film is just like it feels so real mm. it's it's pretty perfect for like because i i can imagine that's how a lot of people would probably react in a situation where you've just seen some strange like big monster sort mm. of kill yeah. your brother and then chase you like into a house yeah. on your own she deserves like, it's terrifying she deserves a lot of uh, of uh, of awards including the award for biggest forehead which is she's, she's <laughs> hairband pushes all the way <laughs> well, the... look at a picture she's got lots that's the just... helicopter zombie the helicopter zombie gets the biggest forehead oh that's a good point have yeah. it lopped off yeah, yeah lopped off that's right she's a runner-up <laughs> shame judith we you know it's a tough competition but you know, like all the actors in 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 like Night of the Living Dead as well. It's just like I don't want to turn this into like turning talking about Night instead of Dawn. We won't. We'll talk about like, Dawn. Like like so <laughs> many good actors in that film. So would you say that Dawn of the Dead has had like an impact on your writing at all, or is it just one of those things that got you really like excited about films and stuff when you? Uh, were well, younger? I mean, it was like the most iconic horror film that I probably saw as a child. Uh, so it definitely fueled my sort mm. of like passion for watching horror and enjoying horror. To be honest, not I haven't particularly uh, have found it influencing my work, other than the fact that I I tend to write about mm-hmm. horror a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to write about horror games a lot, so I guess yeah. I guess it did have some influence in that regard. But yeah, it's just like I think it's just like the the perfect horror film in my opinion. Yeah. Certainly one I'll be uh, I'll be watching many times in my in my in my life. Well, let's talk a bit then about your sort of writing on horror and games and stuff. I mean, what about horror in films or games? Uh, what's your jam? What's your sort of like, this is what I love about the genre. This is what I find kind of affecting and scary. I used to write about film a lot, actually. Like uh, back when I was starting my freelance career, I like didn't really, I didn't really know what to, what I wanted to focus on. So I actually did do like do quite a few pieces on film. A few of them were on uh, horror. I used to, on my blog, I used to run this series called A History of Horror, which was sort of like this, just like every week throughout every October, every week in October, I would uh, just sort of do like a little piece sort of examining like a certain aspect of horror and i'm pretty sure actually my first uh, the first post i ever did for that was about zombies so that was quite mm. neat but then as time went on and i sort of shifted towards games it's like i feel like i've sort of become the horror guy now because i tend to review a lot of horror games mm-hmm. they tend to be the the bad ones i don't think i've i haven't reviewed <laughs> that many good ones maybe dark woods dark woods a really good horror game so good they've got a uh, new there's a new horror um game out no, out Thursdays. Little Nightmares has got a sequel. I have no idea what Little Nightmares is. I just know what ge- I'm just know what meta. I'm just looking at Metacritic. So that looks like that, that guy's yeah. got a bag over his head. This is my Did review. Just Google no, no. <laughs> no. I mean, like, oh, I, I, there's a picture yeah. and there's a guy with his bag over a head and there's he looks in the woods and it's at night. Five stars. Great game. Yeah, that's all. I, frantically Googling. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit oh shit how do i engage with the guest cool so should we move on to your second piece ollie yes yes let's yeah. let's do that because i'm very excited to talk about this uh yeah i mean this is something i genuinely don't have much knowledge about at all so i'm excited to hear about it okay so for my second choice i chose um and i'm never actually quite it's a japanese word so i'm never actually quite sure how you pronounce it but uh, it's uzumaki by uh junji ito um, i mean that looks right I'm yeah, written down and that looks <laughs> about right. I've only ever read it like as a word, like as a word written down. So I don't actually know how you would pronounce it, but I assume that's how it how it goes. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a manga, which is sort of like for anyone who's unaware, it's sort of I guess it's basically just like Japanese graphic novels, Japanese mm. comic book, uh, keeping with the theme of like horror for this episode. <laughs> uh, Uzumaki is a horror manga about. It's sort of like centered around this small village, like in the in the countryside in japan uh it's just like a regular like normal town i guess um but suddenly all these sort of strange uh things keep going on particularly like this recurring spiral symbol keeps appearing um in different like forms um mm-hmm. so uh the, the the manga the story actually does follow like a, a group like a small group of characters but it's very much a concern with like the town as a whole yeah and it's sort of just like this like these spirals just keep appearing in different things so um for example uh there's an early chapter where like the the main family the dad is sort of like um is like sort of eating dinner and then um 
he sort of like freaks everyone out when he's like his tongue starts like becoming really like curly mm. and like really like spirally like the way his tongue just sort of comes out and like sort of rolls back into his mouth and then he's like sort of like here it's it's quite it's actually quite funny because i think i think it's it's like the, the art is actually horrifying but uh, yeah a lot of the story sort of played for laughs where like the like the white his wife goes in to see him later and he's sort of like on the he's sort of like i think he's like in the bathtub or something and he's just like a, he's just like a full-on spiral like his body is just sort of morphed mm. into this massive spiral that fills up the bathtub yeah i mean oh, I, it's, I, just, I it's hilarious look. <laughs> i had a look in some of it and uh yeah, it looks pretty I creepy. We, <laughs> it looks pretty. We, yeah, I think <laughs> I think we need scary. to sort of address like I think the illustrations of Junjiita are some of the most horrifying yeah. things you will ever see. Oh, I've got the tongue spiral <laughs> here. Oh, that's uh, uh, like yeah, it's um, it's definitely like an acquired taste uh, if you enjoy his work or not. <laughs> I like I I think I first read this uh, when I was at uni, so I read this about five years ago, and it was. Um, I think I just like really grew attached to like the way the stories were written and the way the art was was drawn like because mm-hmm. that art style is horrific. There's like oh, is this <laughs> there's horrendous. a there's a like. Keeping with yeah, I know. I'm gonna Keeping stop. With, like, the... I'm gonna stop looking at it because don't look at it. Just listen to me talk about Please. it. Please. <laughs> It's sort of like there's a scene later on where like two like the the characters go to school because for some reason even though this town is like being like overtaken by all these horrific like spiral incidents like they still send the kids to school and life still <laughs> goes as normal but the two, the two like main characters go to school and then another kid comes into the class but he's a snail and like his back is like formed into oh, like a okay. like one you know like like a like a snail shell like all spirally and everything. I was gonna ask you have written a note that just says snails, so I was like, <laughs> I wonder when this is gonna come up. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's a big book as well. I've got it right here. It's it's a pretty chunky like story because Junji Ito does like a lot of short stories, but like this was like I think it was this was his first like full story that's mm. like takes up about maybe six hundred pages or so. So it was really nice to sort of see um him sort of like tackle this longer work because he's done like uh, his i would say his short stories are very uh very neat as well very interesting mm. to sort of read sort of like this recurring motif in the in in stories is that it's just like bad stuff happens to like r- like people randomly all of a sudden mm. it's just like it doesn't really feel like uh, the victims in his stories are sort of like there's a reason for them to be victims. It's just sort of like random shit happens to random people, and it's like there's a I like I really like the way he writes sort of like this uh, sort of obsession that characters have with the phenomenon going on around mm-hmm. them. So with um particularly with Uzumaki, it's sort of like once a character has sort of been like infected by this symbol the spiral symbol that's it then they just sort of like become it consumes their life and it becomes all Mm. they ever really know about and if you try and like stop them from sort of being consumed by this then there's just nothing there's just no way to do it there's a really good um short story he wrote called um the enigma of amigara faults which is very famous i think it's his most famous work and it's sort of like about this after an earthquake there's sort of like this big fault in the sides like that sort of come out the ground and the whole town goes to investigate and they see like in the side of the mountain they see uh human shaped holes like completely like covering the side of the mountain mm. and everyone's like okay that's so that's very strange why are there like human sized holes in the side of this mountain but then one character sees a hole and they they see it and they think wait a minute that's my hole and they think you're thinking like what what and then suddenly, like, people find these holes that sort of, like, they think is theirs. And they'll actually go into the hole and, like, sort of, like, climb into it and sort of disappear. It's a very creepy story. And it's got... A, I, I really like the ending. So, like, I feel like if you were going to read any of his stories, just read that one. And have okay. and have nightmares afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it does kind of sound like the kind of horror that I do enjoy. So I'm... But it's just it like, like... the kind it's of like... thing I would not enjoy and get very scared about. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> but it's just like these characters have this weird fascination so it's like uh like with that story in particular it's like uh, as soon as you see a hole that you think is made for you like that character stops at nothing to like try and get into that hole and like people mm. will people like try and pull him back and he's like no no it was made for me it's my oh. hole it's it's horrendous but it's brilliant at the same time mm. it's definitely like I think uh, I think the art style definitely sells his work. Like yeah. uh, the stories are the stories are good, but you sort of you sort of buy into this creator for his horrifying drawings. Like I don't know, maybe I'm 
maybe it just says a lot about me that I'm just, like so into these horrifying <laughs> these horrifying <laughs> art creations, but I think he's uh, I think it's a brilliant work. Yeah, um I was going to say we haven't have really had anyone on yet that's talked about manga or like graphic novels. Do you think that they do bring something like different to storytelling compared to like, you know, watching a film or reading a book or what's the pull there? I think definitely in the case of Junji Ito, like his his work definitely works best as like drawings and art mm. because they actually did an anime for the, for some of his shorter stories like a like an anthology series a while ago and it was a bit crap because a lot of his because like you try and convert a lot of his sort of drawings into motion and it just doesn't yeah. really work they actually like they recreated like some of it like panel by like panel for panel like doing a shot for shot remake of his sort of uh, graphic novels but it just didn't work like having it look like having it move and have it be in motion it didn't quite yeah. have the same effect so i would say that yeah like definitely like junji ito is uh his his work is strongest when it's in print when it's a printed image they actually got him to do they were actually going to get him to do the uh the cre- some of the creature designs for silent hills uh which got cancelled unfortunately yeah um, but i was like cool, i was really looking forward to seeing like how he would have designed uh, the, the, mm. some of the creature designs for that That's game. That's an excellent transition. It's an excellent <laughs> transition because we're gonna. How about we move to the last one, which is of course Silent Hill Two. Oh what? Which is? Oh, I got terribly confused. I thought we were gonna talk about Tracy Beaker. Sorry, I got the note. Uh, <laughs> um, maybe wrong. if there's time at the end, we could slow. But do Tracy a Beaker, bit of that. similar to Uzumaki, gives me uh, this the horrendous sense of like dread and uh, terror. Um, nope let's talk about your last one a video game a video game yes because i feel like i couldn't i couldn't go on a podcast without talking about a video game so silent hill 2 one of the greatest games of all time i reckon i'd say so yeah exactly (laughs) end of discussion (laughs) that's it (laughs) bye (laughs) credits so silent hill as a series has been very like I, i guess you would say it's like one of the most influential horror video games of all time like that sort of the sort of early silent hill games sort of created at the time it was created because many of its features were sort of created because of this uh, sort of technical limitations mm. so like if you've played silent hill on the ps1 for example like the, the playstation couldn't actually like render like a massive amount of the town at once so they put in all this fog like around the character um to sort of like mask that sort of technical limitation but then it ended up just being like a staple of the series mm. that these characters go to a town that's just extremely foggy all the time and hor- horrific with all the monsters that are walking around. Um, but I think Silent Hill 2 especially sort of plays on this sort of idea that um, video games can be art. Um, I feel like at the time, like a lot of game developers weren't really pursuing that. I think the video game developers in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s were we're still sort of obsessed with the idea of just making games like absolutely batshit and just <laughs> and just making them like extremely fun to play whereas Silent Hill 2 is like I, I wouldn't I'm not sure if I'd call it a fun game to play because some of it can be mm. quite horrific at times yeah for sure I first played this game maybe when I was about 15 or 16 mm. uh, and it really stuck with me like a lot of it did like um particularly like exploring like the town of Silent Hill sort of solving these weird puzzles that were really like extremely abstract in how they were presented obviously like being like taunted by like enemy like enemy creatures and stuff like that and having to fight them uh, it was really quite a scary game for a 15 year old yeah to play but uh I think it's like it's because it's storytelling is extremely unconventional. Like the way it, it tells a story, similar in the ways you know you would you would see from like a, a director like I don't know Cronenberg or Lynch or or any of those kinds of uh, storytellers. Um, so it was it did it did necessarily when I first played this, it felt like felt like it was drawing a lot on like creators like that, which was really neat. I mean, from what I've gathered from Silent Hill, is looking at like. Um, a lot of this is the best voice acting I've ever seen in anything ever, uh, which is in the very early ones, where it's just, I don't know, I, I feel like a lot could be said about early days, early video game voice acting. There are some absolute crackers out there, but there's a sort of there's a sort of feeling I get at weird like low res games, I horror low res horror games. I actually find a bit more creepy than like like really high res ones. 
just watching footage of there's something about the sort of like cobbled together low poly kind of vibe to them which just adds to the sort of like mystery and you want to lean in because you're so curious about it but you don't know when something's gonna like scare you and there's there's something about like and i find i find like haunted mysteries really really compelling uh as a thing and, and silent hill seems to sort of like tack all that nicely i mean i think if you were gonna enjoy a video game like silent hill 2 would be right up your street rory i think potentially and i can't wait to not play it <laughs> <laughs> i mean i love that there's just no like jump scares really yeah, throughout yeah. the whole thing yeah um it's very much it's very much very atmospheric in its presentation yeah. i just love like the the storytelling as well it's just so weird at times so there's you know the story sort of concerns uh, you know this guy james sunderland who he gets a letter from someone who he like someone who like he believes to be impersonated his wife who died three years ago and then he sort of gets to this town of silent hill the letter basically says like come meet me at silent hill so he goes there and then he sort of like as the more like the more he spent the more time he spends in the town like you know the more stranger things get so he sort of meets all these different people who sort of like feel like they're in their own version of hell. Mm. Um, and then meanwhile, he's like sort of like pursuing this letter and, you know, trying to find her, like his wife. And he meets this woman who looks exactly like his wife, um, similar names and everything, because his wife's called Mary, this woman's called Maria. And it's very much just like, it's so abstract in the way it presents all these different yeah. ideas and stuff. And it's so, it's so like, I don't want to spoil it because I really want anyone who listens to this to go play it. Um, like, but there's just like there are so many like met like layers and layers of metaphors mm. in this whole thing. It's just like it just feels so weird that like this is a game that came out in 2001, which was a time when like you know it was like it was like the middle of like the PS2 sort of era when games were still trying to be just like crazy basically <laughs> they weren't really they weren't really pursuing like these like big horrible like epic tales of you know like dark storytelling so it was it very much feels like it feels like ahead of its time in that regard because yeah. like nowadays you get all these games like like you know like hellblade and stuff like that that do tell these like uber serious um stories but back in 2001 it was like it was a lot rarer to get stuff like that um, so it's yeah. like such a profound experience to have at the time. One of my favourite things about it is that Team Silent, who did kind of like, was it like the first four Silent Hill games? Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. They were basically like the people that the company, like, what was it, like didn't think they were doing particularly good at their jobs and stuff and kind of put them on this like separate project and then they came up with Silent Hill. And, well, oh yeah, definitely. The um, rest is history. It's just... <laughs> It was actually quite sad to see that they crunched a lot on that on Silent Hill Two, especially, mm. which was a bit sad. Um, uh, but they they took like the like you they can obviously see the passion behind the work um, when you play it. Um, like like everyone at Team Silent seems like like they really cared about the yeah. the property and the series and everything. So it's a shame, really, that like after the fourth ones, the the series just sort of was yeah. you know it's not it's time was limited after that was it, it bad really... was it bad after four well they 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 changed developer to a to a new team oh i forgot the name forget the name of now but it wasn't the original like developers pretty much they they moved silent hill onto a new team and yeah it just feels like a pale imitation of the earlier ones really like the the thing about silent the thing i really like about silent hill is like each game feels like like the the especially like the creature design feels very mm -hmm. tailored to the protagonist and sort of like their mental state in that in that game whereas then with silent hill 5 onwards it's just sort of like fan service let's bring back let's bring yeah. back pyramid heads because people love pyramid heads you know and it's like well that doesn't make any sense pyramid head like appearing in silent hill 5 yeah. <laughs> I mean, because it's, it's kind of the whole point is that they're tailored to the protagonist. Like, I don't want to give too much away, but kind of important. <laughs> yeah, and it's like the nurses as well. I think they appear in Silent yeah. Hill 5 as well. The nurses are very specifically, like, linked to James in Silent Hill 2. Yeah, and, and talking of James, I've always thought he he's quite an interesting like protagonist really because kind of around that time, a lot of the protagonists of video games were kind of these like real big, like, beefy men, like, tanks basically and then james comes along and he's kind of just this kind of normal guy and um what i really like is that with the controls like it's kind of cumbersome to control isn't it like it's not really intuitive it's a bit slow and but it kind of works with the character yeah that's that yeah definitely i think that's uh that says a lot about the series as a whole 
actually because like i'm so like i was so bad at this game when i first played it as yeah. well because like the controls like you say with the controls just being quite like cumbersome and then the puzzle like i was like so bad at the puzzles i had to like oh, i think i had to look up like the solutions for most of them because yeah. i couldn't really understand half of them it was really nice though that they had like a like a difficulty level for like the puzzles yeah like a separate difficulty level just for the puzzles which was nice and then it's like depending on like what how like if you select easy medium or hard it's like the the clues they give you are more obvious or less obvious yeah. depending. so that was really nice I think I, I think even with even on the easiest setting, I still couldn't do half of yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I think I ended up playing on it. The the puzzles are easy, and I I just suck at puzzles. I think. So. And I think uh, a particularly like Pyramid Head fascinates me as a as an enemy. Um, I'm gonna give like very light spoilers here, but uh, Pyramid Head is sort of like uh, I you, when you first like play the game all the way through, you sort of think of Pyramid Head as your enemy. But then I I read a like a sort of like interpretation online and I started thinking about it more and uh, you actually think of him more as like a guide or sort of like um, sort of like guiding James towards his like I guess his like an inevitability mm-hmm. um, the, the, the 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 sort of like where he needs to be at the end of the game it's quite I'll I, I can link you to that if you haven't seen this video on it before because it's quite an interesting yeah that's it's quite cool. it's quite an interesting theory that I think that like doesn't really the, the game doesn't really address that much but like it's when you think about it it's like oh yeah one of my favorite things um which I kind of think feel like um sums up the horror in Silent Hill quite well is you know when you first see Pyramid Head through the bars when you're going down the corridor Oh, yeah. and then he just disappears yeah and it's like they could have done that with like a jump scare or something but that just works so well because then you're just like wandering around like shit where is he yeah he's there's like so many different just different moments where he's just like he's, in, yeah. he's not even he's not even like after, like chasing you or anything he's just sort of yeah like like in the distance watching you and then he like disappears when you actually get to the spot that he's at it's so it's creepy very creepy yes and it's just like so. There's like the the enemy design in that is just like like the yeah. the uh, the flesh lips boss mm. is uh, pretty mad as well. Uh, and particularly yeah. like the like uh, we won't say anything, but the ending like yeah, pretty, bon- pretty bonkers. <laughs> I think that's a bit too much to spoil. <laughs> I think if you're a fan of like Cronenberg, David Lynch, like any sort of like these like avant garde. Uh, film directors like you'll definitely enjoy silent hill too um i have looked up the ending so i know what the ending is so oh, okay. uh, i'm there is i really can't stress this enough how i'm not going to play a video game <laughs> i i know <laughs> i think it's an amazing uh medium i think there's so much incredible criticism that people are doing i think it's a brilliant way to tell stories i just i just don't i just don't wanna and i don't want to do it and i will stick <laughs> with my little movies and writing little scripts and i i'll, I'll See, be I, good i couldn't imagine i couldn't imagine a life without video games yeah how would you do it it's really cool you just sort of like leave the house occasionally um oh, I, I do that. <laughs> we have nintendo switches oh, we can leave the house whenever we nintendo want switches. um yeah that's true it's it, it's i don't know it's weird how how do you guys not like watch nine movies a day i don't get it and um, I, I, I... <laughs> I got to the end of january and realized i'd watched like one film yeah and that's, that was weird i was hey, yeah no, i watched i watched all three uh indiana jones films because remember there are only three yeah there are uh, and i watched them all in a day like right last weekend, here's the thing so... finally to take up the conversation um we stopped talking about video games here's the thing about indiana jones and that kind of shit like when i'm when i saw kingdom of the crystal skull right i was like a child and i didn't know that there could be bad movies you know when you were a kid and you were just like <laughs> yes a movie i was i was i was yeah. what, like i must have been a l- ooh, 11 11 when i saw indiana jones in the kingdom of the crystal skull i was like wow a movie a new indiana jones movie that's cool and then only over time was i like actually this is a bad movie because of these reasons tell you what i'll just watch the silent hill movies i'll get all the story that way <laughs> no don't no don't 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 <laughs> the film the film i'll give that I mean to be fair the first one i could admit like there are it has its moments well what i understand was that, it was at least trying to adapt it's a bit a... i mean it's a bit it's a bit fan servicey but it has its moments the second one you can like 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 kick kit harrington oh, doing an american God, accent right. no who's thanks. the girl in it who's the lead um uh adelaide clemens okay i think i recognize her from something um but uh yeah 
I mean, I saw the poster with um, Pyramid Head waving a massive sword in 3D at the camera, and I was yeah. like, "Well, this isn't gonna go well. This is not. This is not the adaptation that the fans are looking for." Do you see? How do you see an adaptation of Silent Hill or Silent Hill Two working? Uh, now we're in this new age where you can adapt things. We, we haven't got a good video game adaptation, a great video game adaptation, as it were. How do you see the story uh, being transferred, or do you not think it should? I, I don't see it transferring at all, to be honest. And I say this about nearly every video game. I don't think there'll be the. I don't think there are many video games that would translate well to a to a film or a TV show. Like I, I, I said this when the. That when they announced they were going to do a Last of Us TV series, like just mm. don't. Just if you if you like that game so much, why would you want to see like a a less well told version of that story? Because yeah. it's like people are saying like, oh yeah, let's do a Last of Us TV show. Who would you want to cast as Joel and Ellie? That's and it's so like, not well, the point. You know, that's so like irrelevant to why that story works. I mean, the whole thing about experiencing the story through video games is that like you're part of it, like you're making yeah. it happen in a way and then just taking that step and, back by just And the idea so that you that you that people are like, oh this is a good video game. It's only validated if we make it into a more mm. universally recognized and critically lauded medium. Or you're just reducing the fact that this is a that what they've done is told a novel story in a completely ingenious way and by saying well it's only really important if we make it into a tv or a film you're kind of reducing it basically i mean it comes back to that whole debate about our video games are yes so. like <laughs> i mean you, the way you could do you could you could really go about it two ways you could either adapt the same story mm-hmm. so like seems that seems to be what they're doing with the last of us and what in which case like what's the point because like We've had the last you, of it. obviously you're just going to keep drawing com- comparisons between the two and it's always the game is always going to be superior but then you could also go the other way and sort of have it like set in the same universe um new story new same universe but again i don't really like that idea either because you're still sort of like limited by what fits into that universe hmm. uh, whereas you could just be using those resources to sort of create your own work instead where where you don't have that limitation you're really reducing just the titanic amount of empathy that that these these games generated i mean you're you're by the medium you're restricted to different language which isn't which doesn't bring about the same emotional reaction as you would in a game by playing these characters and interacting with it so i mean what's the point i mean there you're not going to get the same emotional reaction to it yeah i mean i guess i'm less I, I care about it less with stuff like Detective Pikachu and um, oh, sure, the Sonic yeah. movie. Like those, those don't like take themselves as seriously, which is quite nice. Like they are very aware that they are a video game movie, which I prefer, in fact. But if you're gonna play like narrative, if you're gonna yeah. play something, if you're gonna play something like extremely seriously, like like Silent mm-hmm. Hill or, or like, the bloody like the Assassin's Creed movie they did. Oh like, God, just, where the director was like, I don't know what Assassin's Creed is, and I. <laughs> no interest in this um i love that like the director of that film he did, uh, he did macbeth and like he thought this was going to be like the like a big shakespearean oh, like God, yeah. like adaptation of uh, assassin's creed and like if you've played the, the assassin's goofiest. creed games you won't know that that thing is extremely like it takes you about 50 hours to beat an assassin's creed game and they were trying to in a two-hour movie they were trying to consolidate 10 games <laughs> worth of plot into in, like possibly you know like 300 400 hours of story into a two-hour movie there's absolutely like no chance you can create a good assassin's creed movie so on that note uh, i think we're ready to wrap up guys um ollie what are you working on at the moment and where can we find you what am i working on at the moment well i'm just i'm everywhere really like i'm freelance <laughs> i've got staff job at pocket gamer i'm doing stuff for new game plus like i'm doing podcasts i'm doing youtube like what aren't I doing? Wonderful. <laughs> um, just log on to any and website the... and you'll be able to find. All like it. yeah, log on to any. Like, literally, just like open your address bar on Chrome and just type in like a random assortment of letters, and you will find me on there somewhere. <laughs> no, uh, you um, can, you can find on me on. You can find me on Twitter. Yes, um, at Ollie Writes. You can find. Most importantly, you can find. You should read New Game Plus. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, that's um, www.newgameplus.co.uk and that will be linked in the episode Mm -hmm. description Uh, Rory what are you doing Um, at the moment and where can we find you I am currently undergoing some sort of metaphysical metamorphosis into what I can only describe as a big slug and I (laughs) am uh, writing I think I'm writing I'm doing some short film stuff at the moment 
and I'm doing, I've sent out some pitches, so hopefully I'll be working on some projects. It's They they, they will be very good. If you're listening, people I sent those pitches to, uh, please let me do them. <laughs> if not, I will update you next episode. <laughs> Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at Rory Has Opinions. Lovely, thank you. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Abby Ruggles. And I'm probably writing something or other about video games As you are somewhere. Actually, do. I'll have a piece on New Game Plus Sick. at some point. Yes. Soon. Yes, I wasn't sure if you okay, wanted you to go. bring and that up. you know up what? Screw it. Yeah, so will I. Will. I'll have a piece on New Game Plus. I'll be <laughs> writing all about the little computer games and yeah, you can play them with your fingers. I would like to see a review of a video game from a I think there's a whole YouTube channel with that, to be honest. I still think that we should do streaming. I feel like we should... Abby plays video games and I join for shit talking and like <laughs> comment moderation <laughs> and stuff like that. And it's just me asking really banal questions. And then I rant about like, I don't know, Star Wars. And then I log off. <laughs> if you want to see that, let us know. Well, yeah. Oh, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I got access to the uh, the Twitter. So I'm shit posting on the Twitter account. Oh, yeah, that's Uh-oh. happening. Hop over to the stories cast on Twitter, <laughs> uh, where Rory has rediscovered the password and is posting things. <laughs> and yeah, thank you for joining us, Ollie. It was lovely, lovely to talk having to you. you on, Ollie. Thank you. Uh, thank we'll you see you in much. the next episode. Bye. <laughs> right, I thought you were gonna... Sorry, I, you can just cut me out.